so thankful that you are here. It's always an honor to get to teach when uh, Mark is out of town. And as Bruce said a moment ago, uh, Mark and Becky uh, have a major spiritual marker. They're celebrating this weekend in New York City with their daughter Rachel getting married yesterday. And then they had so many of our church members go that they're actually having a worship center in the conference room in the hotel this morning. So we were going to wait till September 15th to do multi-site church and launch our North Campus, but we decided, why not August 4th? Let's go ahead and go multi-site, and we're going to launch that campus. And so they're having worship in New York, and that just sounds like fun, doesn't it? Getting to worship in New York. And we're going to worship here in Houston. And if you have your manuscript that Mark wrote, just know that I slept like a baby last night. Just knowing that Mark already turned in a 15-page manuscript, and he just asked me to teach on 1 Thessalonians. So I just read his manuscript and said, well, I'm just going to teach whatever he said about it. And I love what he said about it. But I am going to add a few other things as well uh, that God has shown me in my study of 1 Thessalonians. So I invite you uh, to have your manuscript ready, and also be wonderful if you had your Bible open to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians. We're going to be journeying together today. The summer's been rather busy, probably for your family as well, and the Trammell family's just been sprinting, having our daughter home from college, having our son involved in several sports, and just so much going on in the ministry here at Champion Forest Baptist Church. So we were just going to carve out three days to just get away, just three days. So we chose August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, which would have been this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just behind us here, and we're going to go for the first time ever to a place we've heard so much about, the Frio River. And so we packed up, we had a, another family who was going to meet us there, and so Thursday we hit it early that morning, had everything loaded, and we headed to the Frio, moved into the two cabins, one for our family, one for their family, and then went to the water just to enjoy connecting with God's nature and cooling off, actually, in the Frio River. And that was my first time there. I had no idea how clear the water was. Literally, in five feet of water, you could look down and see your feet. I mean, in most lakes in Texas, you can't even see your, your hand six inches beneath the water, but you could see your feet. The water was so clear. The, the rocks were just beautiful, and the trees, of course, amazing. So we had a wonderful evening. The rest of the family that we were meeting there joined us that night. We went out to eat at this really cool place up in the mountains or the foothills of Texas. Felt like mountains. Felt like I was in Gatlinburg, actually, and had a wonderful time that evening. And then we went to bed probably about 11 p.m. At 2 a.m., my 15-year-old son, Austin, is leaning up against Tanya's side of the bed, leaning over, and sounds horrible and says, I'm sick. We reach up and feel him, and he is running major high-octane fever. Sick. So we give him ibuprofen, try to bring the, the, the uh, fever down, and just kind of watch him throughout the night, thinking the next morning he'll be okay. This, uh, he'll have a breakthrough. We're on vacation. You're not supposed to get sick on vacation. But the next morning, he just got worse and worse and worse. So we packed up, and we came back to Houston in less than 21 hours from our departure from Houston. Well, good news, Austin's feeling a little bit better. His fever has broken, and hopefully tomorrow morning, he'll be at football camp with Klein High School, because that's all that matters to him. But we had to cut our trip short. 
And the Apostle Paul can identify with that because when we look at his journey into Thessalonica, what we learn in Acts chapter 17 and following is that he had a quick trip to Thessalonica. Look at Acts 17 verses 1 through 3. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now notice verse 2. And Paul went in as was his custom... And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now what's extraordinary about the letter we're going to study, 1 Thessalonians, is that Paul was there perhaps 21 days or less. We were at the Frio, 21 hours or less. Well, Paul only had three Sabbath days there in Thessalonica. He was engaging the culture. As was his custom, he would go into the synagogue and he would defend the faith. He would teach the Word of God and he would demonstrate that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, of course, you know who Paul is. I love hearing and reading the teachings that Mark has provided on the Apostle Paul. We know that Paul, of course, was converted on the road to Damascus. He had what we call a life-changing experience. And I wonder this morning if you've been there, done that. Have you encountered God at that level where you turned from sin and trusted in Jesus alone for salvation? It's just hard to believe for me now that I'm 44. I travel back 34 years back to a Thursday night. Say it again. Is that better? Is that better? Thank you, Richard. He's got my back. Whenever I was just about 10 years of age on a Thursday night, O.B. Robertson was preaching a revival at my home church, and that's when the Spirit of God tugged on my heart, and I...
by good relations with Rome. Now Thessalonica was a very strategic port city and it was formerly known as Therma because of the hot springs in the surrounding region. But then became known, as I said, as Thessalonica. Here God raised up this man named Paul to go to Thessalonica. Paul was on a mission to serve God, on mission to be God's missionary. And we find that on his second missionary journey, Paul comes to this city called Thessalonica. I love what William Barclay says. Notice carefully. It is impossible to overstress the importance of the arrival of Christianity in Thessalonica. If Christianity was settled there, it was bound to spread east along the nation road until all Asia Minor was conquered and west until it stormed even the city of Rome. The coming of Christianity to Thessalonica was crucial in the making of it into a world religion. That city, though, was steeped in paganism. That city was steeped in what's called idolatry. Now, idolatry is anything that comes between you and God. And the city was embracing idolatrous worship, cultic worship, sexual immorality that Paul addresses here in his letter. But let's talk about the church, the church of Thessalonica. When you think about where God ought to plant a church, shouldn't it be in the city that's the darkest? Because the darker the night, the brighter the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember whenever we moved to the New Orleans area for me to go to seminary. I grew up in Alexandria, Louisiana, and every once in a while we would go to New Orleans, we'd go to the French Quarter, and it was just always spooky to me as a child. I remember in 1984 when we went to the World's Fair. My brother was old enough to drive, so he and I went together. It's like our first trip as brothers without mama, just the two of us. And we went to New Orleans to the World's Fair, which was totally amazing. But then we made our way to get some beignets where, well, where the presence of God was moving. And then we went into the French Quarter that night and different little tables set up with burning incense. And you could just sense the oppression in that environment, the witchcraft, the impurities. And so Thessalonica would be considered the New Orleans of Macedonia. What better place for the church of the living God to be planted? And that's exactly what God orchestrated through Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We notice it was founded by Paul on his second missionary journey after founding the church at Philippi. Remember in Acts 16, when Paul came into Philippi, these women were worshiping there on the beach, and Paul shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that one Lydia gave her life to Christ, gets radically saved. And then Paul and Silas delivered this fortune teller from demon possession. And then the owners of that fortune teller were just outraged. And they had Paul and Silas arrested, thrown into prison. And you want to talk about Romans 8, 28, being fleshed out and in prison. They were praying and singing praises to God. And then the jail house rocked at midnight. That's where rock music really took, took a hold in the culture. And God showed up and there was an earthquake and the fetters that had them bound were loose and the doors were wide open and the prisoners could have, could have ran, could have been fully freed. And the jailer, fearing his demise, was about to take his own life. Paul said, wait, 
We're all here. And then that jailer knelt down and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Not only did the jailer get saved, but his whole house got saved and they got baptized. Remember Lydia? Lydia opened her home to the believers. And her home became the church at Philippi. Then we move from Philippi. Paul's on a mission, on journey with God and we find that his strategy was to minister in the large cities and then have the believers in that large city reach out to the smaller communities nearby and that's exactly what he did in his strategy though short stayed strategy with Thessalonica well, let's look at the correspondence with the Thessalonians and that will bring us to this epistle known as first Thessalonians and look at verse 1 Chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians. When you're there, would you say amen? Don't you love PowerPoint? It's just so efficient. It's like, well, it's like going to a restaurant and just being served. You just show up with an appetite and you're served. But I hope you'll never forget how to find 1 Thessalonians in your Bible. Here it is. Read it out loud with me. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace to you and peace. Now what we learn in the study of 1 Thessalonians is that this is one of Paul's earliest letters. One of his earliest writings, the one that would come before that, would be Galatians. Then Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. Then he writes 2 Thessalonians, which Mark will cover next Sunday. So don't miss it. I love this excerpt from Mark's written lesson. As we look at 1 Thessalonians, we should remember that it was a letter to be read in a single setting to the church. While Paul no doubt knew they would reread the letter and discuss it in its various parts and thoughts, we should never fail to realize the power of considering the letter as a whole as well. And we're going to take a glimpse of that in just a moment. So notice Paul goes from Philippi to Berea, uh, Athens, and then to Corinth. When he is in Corinth, Paul wrote back to the Thessalonians, the city he was occupying for less than a month. Well, here's a snapshot of the five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. Now, you may want to write these down if you have something to write on. You can take the back of Mark's lesson, and there you can write it if you would like to do that. And I have my Bible open to Acts 17, Mark, and then I have 1 Thessalonians as well so that I can represent and encourage you to do the same. So we see that Paul, before he goes to Athens, goes to Thessalonica. God uses him in a great way to make a tremendous impact on that city. What I want to do is look at 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to just take five snapshots by looking at each of the five chapters. When you're ready to go on that journey, say amen. Here is chapter number one. If you want to just write this phrase down, this is the whole chapter in a sentence. Set the pace. Church of the living God, believers in Thessalonica, set the pace. Members of Champion Forest Baptist Church, set the pace. Those of you who may not be connected to Champion Forest Baptist Church, but you're connected to the body of Christ, set the pace. In other words, as believers, don't just coast down 
lazy river, but you are to engage in walking with God and serving God and setting the pace as a believer. Now, some of you work in what we would consider a secular environment. Some of you will wake up in the morning and go to a very difficult environment. And I want to announce to you this morning that God has planted you there so that you will bloom for his glory. The question is, will you set the pace? Will you set the pace in the attitude of your work environment? Will you set the pace in whenever you have lunch that you bow and you pray a blessing over your meal? Will you set the pace in not gossiping? Will you set the pace in in embracing a vibrant, strong work ethic? Will you set the pace by allowing your faith to reverberate throughout your work environment? Set the pace. We notice here in verses 6 and 7 where Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction. In other words, it wasn't easy being Christian in Thessalonica. With the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The believers were setting the pace. In fact, their faith in God was so profound that it reverberated. It was like God had established them as a megaphone to the master. And their faith in God was so vibrant and so strong that the word began to spread that these were those who turned to God from idols. You want to talk about revival hitting America? You take a sin city like New Orleans and let that sin city turn to God from idols? Revival would break out in our land. But we don't have to travel to Louisiana and go south to enjoy Cajun food. You can come to Houston, Texas, the fourth largest city in America, very diverse. And I want to say to you that sin is pervasive. And God has called us here to be salt and light in this dark and decaying city. And we have an amazing city, but the reality is that we are not a Christ-exalting city. We are a sinful city, and this city needs to turn to God from idols. And it begins with us. We are to be the pace setters. I love chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians as Paul declares how their faith rang out and reverberated because they were willing to set the pace. Here's chapter 2. Chapter 2 in a sentence, accept God's word, accept God's word. It's so easy, isn't it, to come to a church like this and to come to an amazing class like the biblical literacy class and to just sit and soak and take it all in and say, you know, that was a good teaching, well, that was a good lesson. Hear Dr. Fleming preaching on Romans chapter 8, say, wow, that, that was a good message and just walk away saying, well, that was good. But the question is, did it take root in your life? Did you move from being just a hearer of the word to becoming a doer of the word? Do you allow the word of God to take root in your life? Jesus spoke of the parable of the sower and the seeds. Remember the parable where the sower was broadcasting seed and some fell on the hard path and some on the stony ground, some on the thorny ground but some on fertile soil, and it took root some 40, uh, some 30, some 60, some hundredfold. And it speaks of the levels of receptivity when it comes to the Word of God. Now, what about you? What is your level of receptivity? And are you willing to accept 
God's Word. We pick up now in chapter 2. Look at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Here Paul is in Corinth, writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, acknowledging how their faith rang out, reverberated, and then affirming them for how they accepted the word of God, not as a word from men, but literally a word from God. And they were allowing the Word of God to take root in their lives. And they were allowing the Word of God to form the character of Christ in them. And I want to know this morning, where are you? Are you at that place in your life and reading God's Word and feeding on God's Word and studying God's Word and meditating upon God's Word and memorizing God's Word that you accept the Word of God for what it is? That it is truly God's Word to us. God revealing himself, his purposes, and his plans. But I want to know, are you allowing God's word to take root in your life? Jesus shared this parable. Say there was a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains came down, the winds blew, the flood came, beat against the house, and great was its fall. Why? Because it was founded on sand. But then there's a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. You'll love this. Whenever I had surrendered to the ministry, I was 16 and preaching one of my first sermons and I preached on that passage and here was my whole sermon. It was just one theme that I just wrote over and over and over. Build upon the rock. Build upon the rock. I had a bright, shiny silver suit and a pink tie, and I was announcing, build upon the rock. And then Jesus says, the person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the one who builds his house upon the rock. So it's not enough just to hear God's word, but we're to accept God's word and let it take root in our lives. And now chapter 3, chapter 3, stand fast in the Lord, stand fast in the Lord. Sometimes living out the Christian life is like swimming upstream, where you will feel like you're in the minority, you will feel like you are constantly against a spirit of oppression because living out your Christian faith is not popular. Sometimes you'll have people who will come alongside you, who will encourage you in the faith, and you'll walk with them. But sometimes you'll be flying solo in your Christian journey. Those of you who travel often, and especially those of you who travel alone, know how much of a challenge it is to, to keep the faith and to stay strong and vibrant. And what Paul was saying is even when you are faced with difficult circumstances and affliction and pain and suffering and opposition, stand fast. In the Lord. Look at verse 8 in chapter 3. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. One translation says, So now we live since you are standing fast in the Lord. 
what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica is that I am proud of you, I'm affirming you because you are willing to stand fast in the Lord. I'm not there with you to shepherd you, and I'm not there to guide you, but you are standing fast in the Lord. And what a great testimony. Pastor David said it so well this morning as he preached on Romans chapter 8 and talked about suffering and how pain will follow you, that you never take a sabbatical from suffering, that we live in a fallen world, and that we're flawed. And sometimes we make poor decisions and we suffer the consequences. Sometimes it's not that we've made a poor decision. We're suffering because of someone else's poor decision. And then sometimes God would just allow us to go through suffering, to draw us near to Him and to remind us of our dependency upon Him. And the question is, regardless of where you are in your season, if you're going through personal suffering, maybe it's physical suffering, maybe it's financial suffering, Maybe for you it's a relational strife that has been embedded in your family tree. Maybe for you it's a spirit of unforgiveness that you've been having to to just agonize over. And you're asking God to to give you the courage to to extend forgiveness and to, to be set free. And the question is, are you willing to stand fast in the Lord? Even when it's not popular, even when it's difficult, are you willing to stand fast? in the Lord. Then chapter 4. Walk to please God. Is there any other reason to live? Walk to please God. Maintain that vertical orientation. Whenever I was pastoring in Baton Rouge for almost seven years before moving here six and a half years ago, this young couple joined our church and she was a PE teacher and a coach and he was a coach. And he felt called to ministry, and so I encouraged him to, to go to seminary and to get his degree, and he, he did that and, and remained bivocational, then became a basketball coach in a Baptist school there in Baton Rouge, where he would preach the gospel on Sundays, teach Bible, and then he would coach. And his name is Yancey. And so I would have Yancey preach for me occasionally as I was mentoring him and helping him develop in his, in his preaching. And anytime he would be preaching, he started getting so excited because he thought about where he was when God rescued him and, and what he had been given his life to and how God had called him to the ministry. And Yancey would get all excited, and then he'd start dancing in the pulpit. We're talking about a Baptist church. <laughs> and he know how it is about Baptists. People say, well, can, can Baptists dance? Some can, some can't. But Yancey, when he would get excited, he would start dancing in the pulpit. I mean, just cutting up a sweat from head to toe and getting all excited. And he'd run around and he'd preach and talk about the grace of God. He'd get so excited. And then we'd text one another after. And I'd say, man, great job. You're so fired up and your passion flowed like a river. And then during the week, I would just send him a text every now and then and say, hey, man, stay vertical. Stay vertical. And what I meant by that was maintain your vertical orientation with God. Don't neglect your love relationship with God. Don't neglect intimacy with God. Stay vertical. In other words, walk to please God. Don't ever lose sight of whom you're giving your life to and who you're living for. I love verse 1 of chapter 4. This is so powerful. We're talking about personal words from Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us 
how you ought to walk and to please God. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Years ago, I had a green Jeep Grand Cherokee. The interior was solid black. And this upcoming Sunday was Children's Sunday. We'd had Mother's Day. Uh, then we were going to have Children's Day, then Students' Day, then Singles' Day in May. Well, Children's Day was coming up, and I was asking God to give me a message for Children's Day. And God just gave me this phrase that I had read some years before that, make the smile of God the goal of your life. Make the smile of God the goal of your life. I believe I read that uh, from The Purpose Driven Life. Make the smile of God the goal of your life. And so God just gave me this concept in the message to make it stick, especially with children and parents, to just hand out about 1,200 little smiley faces. Little smileys. Even did research on who created the smiley face, presented that, and shared God's word about our goal is to make God smile. Now I challenge everyone to take that smiley face and put it in a significant place, whether on your watch, on the mirror where you get ready, on the refrigerator, which you frequent often, as I would, or maybe near your speedometer on your dash. And that's where I put mine. I guess to remind me, if you really want to make God smile, go to the speed limit. So I had to baptize that a little bit and, and realize I'm going to get to the speed limit as quickly as possible. Just like that adrenaline. But that little sticky, little smiley that I placed there on the dashboard stayed there for years until I sold my Jeep. Just a daily reminder of why I'm alive and what I'm giving my life to. That I am to walk in such a way as to please the Lord. Make His smile your goal. I thought before we jump to chapter 5, we've got to read verses 13 through 18. I don't want you to forget that Jesus is coming again. In fact, the second coming is mentioned in each of the five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe it, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now why would Paul be writing about those who have fallen asleep? Because the believers in Thessalonica were still babes in Christ and they were still maturing in the faith and they were wondering, now with this coming of the Lord, uh, should we continue to work? Or should we sell our businesses? Should we continue to take care of ourselves? Or is he coming any moment and so we don't have to worry about anything? And what about those who've died before us? What about those who have fallen asleep, who've already died? What's going to happen to them? Look at verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, that's us, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who died before us. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Notice the three sounds. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. I wish I would have had somebody play the trumpet right here. And the dead in Christ, those believers who have already died in the Lord, many of us have loved ones who've already died in the Lord, those who are dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. That word in Latin is raptura, from which we get the word rapture. In the language of the New Testament, it's harparzo, which means to snatch up. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together, will be snatched up, will be raptured. There's our word. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want to announce to you this morning that Jesus is coming again. I sent a little tweet out earlier this week as I was reading through 1 Thessalonians and I had one question. Are you rapture ready? And I want you to ask that question with me. Ready? Here we go. Are you rapture ready? Now look to two people and ask them that question. Now this time I want you to point to somebody and just say, are you rapture ready? Go ahead. Are you rapture ready? When you go to lunch today, if you want to have a lot of fun, if you go out to eat today, whenever your waiter or waitress comes to your table, before you order, we say, are you ready to order? You say, are you rapture ready? Are you rapture ready? And that'd be a great opportunity to lead that person to faith in Jesus Christ. Are you rapture ready? Dr. Jerry Vines, who was pastor of First Baptist Jacksonville, Florida for many years, great man of God, still preaches all over. He talked about the day that he went to visit in the hospital, one of his elderly uh, church members, and he walks into the room, and at the moment he gets by her bedside, she said, Pastor, I want to talk to you about the rupture of the church. And he said, you must mean rapture of the church. She said, no, I mean rupture. Our church is falling apart. <laughs> it's not, are you rupture ready? It's, are you rapture ready? Because Jesus is coming again. Chapter 5. Build one another up. Build one another up. As believers, we're family. We're going to spend eternity together. We are going to spend eternity together. And we need to learn how to do life together now and how to build one another up. I love how Paul packages this in chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Say that with me. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, why would Paul say that to the church at Thessalonica? Do you think it was a challenge to be Christian in that culture? Yes. And there was no room for infighting. Christians attacking Christians. Christians gossiping against Christians. Christians backbiting one another, being unforgiving toward one another. No room for that. Because we're on the same team, we're wearing the same jersey, and we're in this fight together, and we need each other. Paul was telling the church at Thessalonica, build each other up. Encourage one another. You're in this together. We're family. We're a team. Let's walk through this together, and let's encourage one another. Let's build one another up. Remember when I at age five began to race motocross it wasn't my mother's idea <laughs> it was my uncle's idea her younger brother had a little bitterness in the family for a few years because of that it was all good so my brother and i raced motocross and i remember my first race 
I had a little Junior 50, and I was going up against XR75s, the big bikes. And I was five, and they were like eight. And so the owner of the track gave me a head start. He put me in the first turn by this big oak tree. And that's where my Uncle Cliff was. And he was trying to encourage me and say, you can do this. And here's the phrase he used, race to place. Just race to place. I had a big white helmet, one of those evil Knievel helmets with red, white, and blue on it. I had a red, white, and blue jersey. I had 95. My brother was 59 in birth of numbers. 95, 59. And that's how you could tell we were together, though he was way back there behind me. So I was in the first term, and then they dropped the green flag, and they, in that time, the starting gate wasn't a gate that fell towards you, it was just a rubber band that stretched across, they pulled a screwdriver and released the rubber band, and you took off, I mean, it was high tech, but I remember being in the first turn, and my Uncle Cliff, all he would say is, race to place, just race to place, and I remember, have you ever had butterflies, have you ever had, I had butterflies that were turning into helicopters, I was so nervous, and then we took off. And I remember being in first place and just riding. I saw my mama waving at her and just riding. And I was in first place. And then I heard this thunder coming up behind me. It sounded like a, a bunch of tanks coming up against me. And all these big bikes just flew by me and dust flew all over me. And then all of a sudden, they were ahead of me. I finally made it around the track and over these big jumps and came up to my uncle, that big oak tree. And he was going, race to place, race to place, and I gave him more gas, and I had more courage, and I went a little bit faster, and jumped a little bit higher, turned a little bit faster, and every time I'd come around that tree, guess what my uncle was doing? Race to place, race to place, race to place, you can do this, race to place, and I want to make an announcement. I didn't come in first, but I didn't come in last. Two people fell, and I passed them up! <laughs> Because God blessed me with an uncle who understood this biblical concept, encourage one another, build one another up. And then my favorite moment, the race is over. My mother was a single mom, so a couple men came to help her load our motorcycles up. God always just put people in our path at the right moment to help us. My mother wanted to keep us racing so that our life wouldn't change, though my mom and dad divorced. And I remember... The owner of the track came walking toward where the trailer was, and we were loading up, and he was carrying this big trophy. And he brought it to me. And he said, Stephen, you won first place in your class. That trophy was taller than I was, and I still have it today. Race to place. Build one another up. Encourage one another. I've heard Chuck Swindle say many times, if you'll preach to needs, you'll never lack a congregation because people are hurting and people need to be encouraged. Well, let's look at our points for home from Mark's lesson and then we'll close. Work of faith and labor of love. Work of faith and labor of love, that's what they were known for. Here's my question. Does his love for us and our returning love of him move us to labor for him? What motivates you to serve God? Your work of faith, your labor of love. Is what God has done for you in Christ, his love, lavished on you, motivate you to serve? Number two, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 
Here's the questions. Who or what do we ascribe worth to? What do we value? And who do we idolize? Let me ask you to answer this aloud. Who should be number one in your life? Say it with me. God. The Lord Jesus should be number one in your life. Then, chapter 2, verse 18, we wanted to come to you. You could hear Paul's passion for the believers in Thessalonica. We wanted to come to you. And here's my question to you related to that concept. Are you putting your compassion into action? It's not enough to say, well, I wish I could talk to you. I wish I could see you. I wish we could spend time together. What are you going to do to put your compassion into action? And then finally, we will always be with the Lord. I want you to say that with me. We will always be with the Lord. And here's the question. Are you living with eternity in mind? There is life beyond the grave. There's life beyond the here and now, what you see. In just a few moments, you're going to leave this building, get in your car, and you'll see this sign at every exit on our campus. Very intentional about placing those there to remind each one of us that when we leave this campus, this property, the 55 acres of land, when we are dismissed and we leave this property, let's be reminded, you are now entering your mission God wants to use you to make his name great and that your faith may reverberate as you point people to Jesus Christ because Jesus is coming again. Let's stand for prayer. Father, thank you for our precious time together and just for encountering your presence. Thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, help us just to live in 1 Thessalonians and read and feed on your word daily. And God, help us to build one another up and encourage one another. Help us to live in light of eternity, knowing Jesus that you're coming again. May we be rapture ready. It's our prayer in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.